right now. An occupied people has the right to use armed resistance against a foreign occupation. That's it. Period. There is no right for a colonial power to engage in a merciless assault against a civilian population that it cages. That right simply doesn't exist. The Electronic Intifada. The Electronic Intifada. The Electronic Intifada. This is the Electronic Intifada podcast. I'm Nora Barrows-Friedman. And I'm Asa Winstanley. Joining us today on the Electronic Intifada podcast are the hosts of the Palestine Pod, a brilliant new weekly podcast that focuses on Palestine with the aim of supporting Palestinian liberation, justice, and equality on the ground and in exile. Lara Elborno and Michael Scherzer, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you for having us. Appreciate it. So there's so much to get into. This is, uh, we're recording on day four of Israel's bombing campaign against Gaza. Um, hundreds of airstrikes, uh, you know, dozens and dozens of people slaughtered. Lara, you have family on the ground in Gaza. Um, how is your family? What are you hearing from them? Yeah, well, Nora, the situation is absolutely brutal. Uh, every person in Gaza who I have spoken to, family and otherwise, has reaffirmed that the last few nights in Gaza have been more brutal in terms of the sheer amount of shelling than all three of the last military assaults on Gaza combined. The shelling has essentially not stopped. Um, nobody has slept in days, and the people are very tired. My uncle and his and, and our family um, are are sending us voice notes every morning and uh, I can hear the fear in their voices. I can hear, you know, the trembling. Uh, I can even hear the shelling actually because it doesn't stop in the morning, it doesn't stop in the afternoon. And so, you know, there are moments where he'll be sending me a message and, and I can hear in the background the shelling. And this is actually very consistent with what we have seen on the Instagram lives that have been taking place over the last few days with direct footage from Gaza that is basically showing the situation, you know, unedited footage for hours on end and interrupting the interviews is always, you know, there's a new explosion, there's a new shelling, you know, turning the camera. I mean, this is something that we are seeing again and again. Um, but at the same time, we are in the first day of the Eid holiday and Palestinian people teach life. So, you know, we saw an article from the New York Times today about a family that insisted on celebrating uh, their daughter's birthday. People are still celebrating Eid in their homes. They're trying to live as normally as possible, knowing that their death can be moments away. But that is who we are as a people. Um, and as for Israel, Israel's on a genocidal campaign. Netanyahu has talked about hitting Gaza um, strikes that they have never dreamed of. Uh, he promised that this is just the beginning. Um, I'm sure Nora uh, and Asa, you saw that they have already leveled four entire residential buildings in Gaza. Those residential buildings house hundreds of families. I mean, can you imagine an entire 15-story residential building that was leveled in a manner that looks like a planned demolition? Yeah, and I mean, I think we have to ask ourselves, what do we expect people to do and how do we expect people to react to this kind of brutality? I mean, the problem is, is that Palestinians have been so dehumanized for many decades uh, that we don't even offer them the, you know, the possibility of reacting the way that any human being would. Right. You know, the scenes out of Gaza right now in 2021 look like the Nakba of 1948. This, the, people are leaving their homes with, you know, bags of their belongings and the clothes on their back. And the you know, kids are walking out with no shoes and they're just trying to find anywhere to go. But of course, it's actually even worse than the Nakba of 1948 because in Gaza, you have no place to go. 
there is no place to escape to. There is no safe zone. There is no, uh, uh, you know, a, a no fire zone. They can't leave Gaza because the very same entity which is pummeling them with these airstrikes is the same entity that has imposed a 15 year long military siege on Gaza, a blockade that has basically sealed off the border and it also a naval blockade that makes it impossible for them to even escape by sea if they wanted, right? So we're talking about caging 2 million people. These people, remember, 80% of them are refugees. These people aren't even, the majority of them aren't even from Gaza. The majority of them trace their origin to the cities and villages that they were expelled from in 1948 at the time of the creation of the State of Israel. They just want to go back home. But instead of being able to go back home, which is their right, enshrined under international law, not only can they not go back home, but they must sit in Gaza, subjugated, and just at the mercy of Israel's bombs. So this is a situation that we have in Gaza. And, you know, I have to admit that we have to always keep in mind our role in this. As the United States, we are the primary funder of Israel. Israel is the world's largest recipient of U.S. foreign aid. If there are Americans that listen to this podcast that think it's not their problem, I'm sorry to say that that's simply not the case. Unless you like funding genocide, in which case, you know, go off. I mean, it has been the U.S.'s uh, modus operandi for 500 years. Um, but uh, yeah, I, can can you talk a little bit more about like your your family and and where they live? Um, what how they're even like dealing with these last four days? Yeah, so they're in Gaza City. I don't want to give more information than that. Sure. Um, for obvious reasons, and um, you know, Gazans are very creative people and they are strategic and they learn how to deal with these things. So, you know, they know, for example, that when the assaults start to come, you have to open the windows. You have to open the windows so that the windows don't get blown out by the shelling and then end up, you know, reverberating in in, in the house uh, and causing injuries or death. They know that you have to sit as close as possible to the center of, you know, the room. They know that you have to stay as close as possible to the ground. I mean, these are things that they have learned over time and these are things that no human being should ever have to try to strategize or understand. Um, and, you know, the feeling is very much that, look, there's nothing that we can do, but we know that our cause is just. And the thing is, is when you know that your cause is just, you can at least die with dignity. And this is very much the feeling in Gaza. You can at least die with dignity. You can at least die knowing that you were defending Al-Aqsa Mosque, which was being invaded, subject to stun grenades, sound bombs, live ammunition, rubber bullets. You know, they fired on hundreds of people in Al-Aqsa. Uh, you know, there were hundreds of injuries. Several people lost their eyes. I mean, this is, this is a very aggressive and violent um, uh, response on the part of Israel right now. Um, all throughout Palestine, right? Historic Palestine, all of it, 48, the West Bank, you know, Sheikh Jarrah, obviously, uh, Jerusalem, and also Gaza. Everything is connected right now. Yeah. It's been about 100 years of ethnic cleansing, and we've still got people who are like, we got to stop this cycle, guys. Yeah. Right. As though, it's, yeah, it's it's like, um, you know, oh, I don't know what precipitated this, but like Biden said, I, I hope that it comes to an end soon, right? Yeah. Like we have we have these, I mean, just the most um, passive and 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 diabolical responses from U.S. politicians, from European politicians who are, you know, basically sending their thoughts and prayers while they're writing, you know, checks for billions and billions of dollars so that Israel can continue its military occupation and colonization of Palestine. Um, 
let's talk a little bit about what's happening in, in 48, especially um, in present day Israel as uh, Palestinian citizens are rising up uh, in tandem with Palestinians in Gaza and the occupied West Bank. Um, there have been sustained uh, rebellions in the streets of uh, major cities like Lid and Yaffa and Haifa and Nazareth um, against uh, these Israeli pogroms. Um, we're also seeing li literal lynch mobs uh, in the streets by uh, Israelis um, who are going after any Palestinian they see walking down the street. They're even breaking into people's homes as we saw. I think it was in Haifa, there was a video that was circulating of um, people uh, you know, Israeli mobs literally breaking into Palestinian families' homes and trying to um, destroy everything and everyone inside. Yeah, um, that video was really terrifying. And yeah. it turns out that it was actually Israeli police doing that. And yeah. the fact right. that, that there was one video and the next video, and in the second video, you could see their uniforms, but in the first, you couldn't quite see their uniforms, yeah. Joe, but you could see them at the door. And I mean, the fact that you couldn't tell the difference initially between the yeah. mobs. Right. Of, well, they're um, one in the same. Yeah, exactly. It's really yeah. just what That's they the decided to wear that day. Pogrom. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. It's it's a matter of, a, you know, what? Yeah. Whatever outfit they picked out for that day. Yeah. Um, they chose a uniform. Yeah, exactly. Um, let's talk about this. I mean, this is really, uh, I think, as you said, Laura, in, in email exchange over the last couple of days between me and, and you, that this was like Israel's worst nightmare, where the Palestinian citizens of the state are unifying and, um, and, and trying to liberate their cities. Yeah, I mean, look, a key takeaway from the events of the last few days is that Palestinians have affirmed that there is no difference between a Palestinian in Gaza or a Palestinian in 48 or a Palestinian in Jerusalem or a Palestinian in exile. Okay, the organization that we have seen, the resistance, the creativity, the sheer energy, all of it, the harnessing of the power of the independent media and the social media platforms, you know, even if our lives get cut, even if you erase our stories, even if you block our accounts, we don't care. We're going to act collectively as one. And you know, the message I think that Palestinians are sending is that, you know, what we've been living for the last almost 74 years is in fact ethnic cleansing and it's all part of the same um it's all part of the same issue right so um the idea is is that the origin of the problem is and always has been this campaign of ethnic cleansing that has been committed by the zionists since 1948 right and and, and earlier even but uh, lasting until today um the Palestinians that we're seeing around the world, there were even some uprisings and refugee camps in, in, in Lebanon and Jordan, there were protests. In the diaspora, the Palestinians that are in you know New York City, Chicago, London, all of us, we are refugees. All of us, either we're refugees or descendants of refugees. You know, ask any Palestinian that lives outside of Palestine, ask anyone, what is the story of your grandparents? And it's a story of a refugee who was expelled from their house and prevented from going back. That is a unanimous story. None of us left by choice. We were all expelled. And so right now, I think what you're seeing is this affirmation, this, this, this you know, clear message that is being sent by Palestinians that the issue is and always has been ethnic cleansing. 
And, you know, we must dismantle this myth that it's not about 1948, that it's somehow only about this military occupation that started in 1967. And yes, of course, that is a major problem and the military occupation must end. But the reality is all of the injustice can be traced back to the Nakba. And, you know, it's, of course, not lost on me that we are filming this podcast two days before May 15th, which mm-hmm. is the going to be the 74th anniversary of the Nakba. Yeah. 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 Tamara, you've been looking into this issue of what's been happening in uh, inside 1948 Palestine, um, in inside uh, present day Israel, um, I understand. Um, so maybe you could tell us a little bit about the latest as well. Yeah, I mean, uh, Lad is absolutely right in that what we're seeing, what, what makes this time very different than any time I've ever witnessed um, in Palestine is that this is a popular uprising by Palestinians throughout their homeland and in the diaspora. This is why Israel, as our colleague uh, Maureen Murphy wrote a few days ago, cannot win no matter how much it escalates its bombing campaign in Gaza. Israel has for decades tried to disconnect Palestinians from their identity. It It tried to erase their Palestinian identity and disconnect their struggle from that of other Palestinians in the West Bank, in Gaza, in 48, in the diaspora and otherwise. And and now that we're seeing Palestinians rise in the occupied West Bank, in Gaza, in in, in Lid, uh, it's it's one indication that this effort to erase this, this national consciousness among Palestinians has failed. And we have learned this from the very first uh, from the very first day of this recent escalation, when the Palestinian resistance organization uh, that that governs Israel's internal affairs, Hamas, gave Israel one hour to clear the Al-Aqsa Mosque compound, to release detainees, and to clear Sheikh Jarrah, and then it fired its rockets to Jerusalem after Israel uh, refused to do so. What happened then is that. The Palestinian resistance in Gaza proved that the bombing in Gaza is never separate from Palestinian struggle throughout the West Bank, and that Israel's attacks on worshippers, on medics, on journalists in Al-Aqsa Mosque injuring hundreds over last weekend cannot go with Palestinians sitting silent and doing nothing. And this is what is terrifying Israel the most right now, as you know, we, we've been seeing uh, mixed uh, reports in Israeli media about whether Israel is trying to escalate or not, and what's what Israel is fearing is that it's losing control in in its internal cities like Lid, in in Ramle, in Haifa, uh, and it doesn't know where to where to focus its its uh, its its campaign of oppression. And, yeah, I think uh, I saw a report that Benjamin Netanyahu had said something on the along the lines that Israel is now fighting a war on two fronts. Right. Uh, talking about Gaza as one front and its own Palestinian so-called citizens of Israel right. as another front. I mean, that's right. I mean, lot, the, right? The, the, the mayor of Lid, uh, a Jewish Israeli, called on the Netanyahu administration to bring the military forces into the city. Yeah, the border police. Where is the border? Yeah, uh, he was he was right. I mean, the border police are in Yaffa, which is on the coast. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, Israel is always always viewed its Palestinian citizens as foreigners uh, sitting there. Uh, And, uh, you know, there are over 60 laws 
60 Israeli laws that directly and indirectly discriminate against Palestinian citizens of Israel. Yeah. Uh, they are treated at best like second class citizens. Uh, and this is what, you know, we've been seeing, you know, the Human Rights Watch and Israeli Human Rights Group at Salem uh, come out and finally say after Palestinians have been saying it for decades that Israel is an apartheid state. But what's, what most people don't understand is that this apartheid extends beyond the West Bank and Gaza and it applies to Palestinian citizens of Israel. And they too are considered uh, uh, second-class citizens by Israel at best. I, I just wanted to add that I've been getting numerous first-hand messages from uh, Palestinians inside 48 that are reporting that the Zionists have been going around and actually marking the outside of their houses with numbers representing the number of people who are inside the house. And they believe that they will then use that to come around a second time, invade their houses and commit crimes, injuries, possibly death. Um, but numerous Palestinians from 48 have told me that they woke up this morning to find the outside of their house marked with numbers. Uh, and they can only assume what that means. You've been doing a lot of work, you know, on the podcast and you know, in your stand-up comedy um, and, you know, on social media, trying to kind of expose Zionism for what it is. And you've been very personal about the fact that, you know, you grew up in a Jewish Zionist family. Um, do you, do you think, I mean, it seems to me also as a Jewish person that there is this massive shift taking place in American Jewish, especially like the young community um, yes. where, you know, it, it's, it's Zionism is such, a, you know, I mean, it's it's a it's a disgusting ideology and and the and the racist ideology and young Jews in particular more and more often are now uh, seeing it for what it is and are pushing back against uh, their families and you know their communities, their synagogues. Um, do you, what do you think is contributing to this shift and and is that an accurate assessment? Yeah, I absolutely believe that, you know, the future of Jewish activism looks a lot like the past, actually, right? Because there is a huge and rich history of Jewish communist labor organizing. And I think that there is going to be a return to that. Given the state of affairs, people can no longer ignore the atrocities that are happening. We are watching pogroms live in real time. People are streaming them on their phones, right? It looks like I'm looking at my own family. It's insane. I cannot stand by and just and just, you know, watch a cooking video or something. Mm -hmm. Like it's it's insane. And there are people who will like not want to mess up their aesthetic. Fam, if your aesthetic allows you to be silent during genocide, you are a psycho. Mm -hmm. Like, uh, but I I am hopeful about the future because I see so many young Jewish activists who are outright denouncing Zionism. There are others who are conditioning their support for Zionism, which is a clear concession, something they almost never do. I think part of it is really just that some of the very typical Zionist myths that we are accustomed to hearing every time there is a flare up of colonial violence, you know, like the, oh, Israel has a right to defend itself or, oh, the Hamas rockets or, oh, Palestinians did this. All of these myths, I think right now in 2021, we're seeing that they are being dismantled before our eyes. Mm -hmm. um, we are seeing clear connections with this type of um, reasoning 
and, you know, a sort of all lives matter reasoning. I, I came across a meme that had that today that had, you know, thousands of likes. Um, we're seeing the reinforcement of this idea that there is no moral equivalence between a colonial power that has imposing uh, that has been imposing an apartheid system of governance on a subjugated native population and the legal armed resistance of an occupied nation. And I think the public is moving towards this understanding, you know, that both sides is, it, both sides ism, you know, is grossly in, insufficient in the context of the discussion on Palestine. You must take a position. You must right. take a position. And the only morally sound position is to say very clearly that the clock does not start running when Hamas fires a rocket. The clock starts running at ethnic cleansing. The clock starts running when a European-led movement shows up in Palestine in 1948 and, you know, not only wanted to stay in Palestine, right, because, you know, there isn't so much of a problem with, with the notion of immigrants coming to a new country. Plenty of Palestinian scholars have said this before, and they've said that, you know, look, if these people wanted to stay as immigrants, fine. There's plenty of examples in history where Palestine has welcomed immigrants. Take, for example, the Armenian population. They came to Palestine after World War One, and they became Palestinian Armenians. So, you know, we have no problem with this. The problem, however, is when not only do they want to come to the land, but they want to replace us on the land. And that's where we draw the line. We draw the line at ethnic cleansing. And I think that's a reasonable position to take. By the way, I'm, I want to talk about I'm on I'm in communication with some people who are on the ground and the tactics for resistance are evolving in such a great way. Uh, I don't want to share too much, but I will say they're lubricating the floors with soapy water so that soldiers will slip and fall in their Ninja Turtle suits, right? Like it has completely changed the way that the police and the military are able to operate. They can't just run into buildings anymore because they got to be ginger footed. Um, apparently, Home Alone is a military training video. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, um, I mean, you know, yeah, but resistance tactics have to be creative. Um, when, when you know, you're not, when this is, it's, it, it's when you don't a, have an army. There's we no don't have army. An army. There's no, and it's mostly people. children. Right, right. Um, Tamara, did you, did you want to, did you have something you wanted to add? Yeah, I, I mean, when uh, Michael was talking about uh, pogroms being filmed on live television on people's social media. Uh, the other thing that is being filmed is uh, Israeli leaders themselves filming themselves uh, right. a, 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 a di with direct threats to Palestinian civilians in Gaza that likely constitutes uh, evidence of premeditated intent to commit war crimes in Gaza. Right. Yesterday, Israel's defense minister, so-called defense minister, Israel's war minister, yeah. uh, Benny Gantz, who is already a war criminal from Israel's assault on Gaza in 2014, when he ordered uh, uh, military strikes that killed more than 2,200 Palestinians, including 550 children. That's 11 children per day, as, as the assault was 51 days long. Yesterday, uh, Benny Gantz uh, posted through uh, Kogat, which is the bureaucratic arm of Israel's military occupation, uh, a one minute and a half video, which is which was like a pre-recorded address to Palestinian citizens of Gaza. He told them, and I'm quoting, Gaza residents, the last time that we met on Eid al-Fitr, I was chief of staff during Operation Protective Edge. If Hamas does not, does not stop its violence, the strike of 2021 will be harder and more painful than that of 2014. Later in the video, he said, Gaza will burn. 
what can we understand from this other than a direct threat to Palestinian civilians in Gaza? And, and this should go directly to the International Criminal Court to investigate this evidence of premeditated right. intent to commit war crimes in Gaza. To commit genocide. That's, yes. Correct. And what investigation? We're watching it. Yeah. You've got, you've got another Israeli uh, member of parliament, Bezalel Smotrich, who is an author of a plan to expel Palestinians that was called by a prominent Israeli scholar of, of the Holocaust, could potentially genocidal. Yesterday he tweeted, or the day before yesterday, on Tuesday, he tweeted, flatten the strip, okay? Let's take Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu, okay? This is just the beginning, he said yesterday, as he was announcing the assassination of, of Hamas, senior Hamas commanders in the Gaza Strip. We, we will hit them with strikes they have never dreamed of, okay? I just want to say when, you know, when pundits ask, uh, ask guests on their, on their shows and they tell them, um, you know, how can we bring this, this escalation to the end? What can both sides do to de-escalate the situation? Hamas, Israel, Hamas, Israel. Every single rocket that Israel drops, uh, missile that Israel drops on Gaza is optional and they can stop doing it. And they make the decision every single time they drop a missile on Gaza and to, and to annihilate a family. This is, this is a choice that they make and they can choose to stop launching this ongoing campaign on, on Palestinians. The other thing that I wanted to mention uh, when we were talking about um, uh, how the, the media cycle basically starts from a rocket that Hamas mm -hmm. fires and uh, starts from uh, on Sunday when, when Hamas fired uh, rockets uh, to Jerusalem. The, the Zionist entity is, is a foreign military occupier it is always already the, the initiator of all aggression against Palestinians. No matter where you start with Palestinian history, you want to go back to Sunday, you want to go back to 14 years ago when Israel uh, began its siege on the Gaza Strip, you want to go back to 67 with the occupation of the West Bank or the Syrian Golan Heights or the Gaza Strip, or do you want to go back to 48 when Israel or you know what was then Zionist militias forcibly expelled 800,000 Palestinians from their homes. No matter where you go back in Palestinian history, Israel's always already the initiator of all aggression and it can choose to end aggression against, against it by, uh, or self-defense against it by uh, stopping the bombing campaign and lifting its occupation and lifting its siege. This whole idea that like, okay, there can be a good form of Zionism. You know, there's this liberal Zionism that exists. I mean, it's just a lie. You know, yeah. we're seeing all these attempts to try to rebrand Zionism. You know, Zionism yeah. is a feeling. Zionism is an emotion. It's a an identity. Trait. Right. Yeah, it's yeah. an identity. Yeah. It's an identity. You know, identity. it's like a it's like a she, her, he, him, Zionist. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's what that's what they're doing now. I've literally no, I've literally seen that on Twitter yeah. profiles. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> People will be like, You're Zionist. attacking my identity. And it's like yeah. your identity is fascism? Yeah, no, yeah. I mean the British left especially has fallen for this whole thing to a to a large extent. Like at least the sort yeah. of, uh, I guess, the establishment left. But it, yeah, it it, it it's uh, yeah. I mean, look, Zionism is racism, and that's it. Like we we absolutely can't accept this. And uh, you know, it's 
Zionism is a political ideology, you know, it's a racist colonial political ideology. That's what it is, you know, it's it's simple as that. You know, I was I was telling some friends of mine earlier today, um, who like, I don't know, like non-political friends, you could call them. And and they just, you know, they they obviously they know what I do and stuff. And so they were asking me like what what's happening? And I said because they were saying, Oh, I was watching the news and I was I was just feeling confused about it. I said, Look, what it comes down to is is just this it's it's not complex right it's um it's a settler colonial project it's a european settler colonial project that's it you know it's 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 as simple as that you know palestinians have been dr- driven out of their homes by the state of israel uh, solely because they're not jewish that's what it comes down to you know this mm-hmm. it's a form of supremacy it's similar to white supremacy in south africa or mm-hmm. uh, or in North America, you know, and so yeah, there's this whole industry of think tankers and journalists dedicated towards making the conflict the, the conflict seem that you know complex and oh you have to have a PhD to talk about it, um, you know, without uh, straying into anti-Semitism um, and all this kind of stuff, and and it's not, you know, it's absolutely not. You don't you don't need. Um, you don't need a PhD. You don't need some sort of spe- special qualification to understand basic injustice, you know. Yeah, um, Asa, I always say it doesn't really matter what Zionism means to you in theory, you know, in your mind. We have to judge Zionism very logically by its consequences. And the consequences yeah. of Zionism are the creation of the world's largest refugee problem, the removal of a native population, the subjugation of those who remain, as well as clear attempts to continue to remove more and more Palestinians from the land. The, the story of Sheikh Jarrah itself, just look at the story of Sheikh Jarrah itself. That story is the story of a Palestinian family that continues to get kicked off of their land. This is not the yeah. first time. They trace their first expulsion back to 48, right? Mm-hmm. And then they were they were expelled to Sheikh Jarrah. And then, you know, they 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 I believe their house was was taken more than once when they were uh, after they were expelled from 48. So this is what we're dealing with. The reality is, is that the creation of the state itself to its constantly expanding borders, which it has never defined, by the way, this is what we are seeing at every step of the way. And, and, and every single policy, every single Israeli policy, right, from the uprooting of olive trees to the demolishing of Palestinian homes, to the expulsion of Palestinians from their homes, to the building of their uh, of settlement, to the pummeling of, uh, you know, Gaza with bombs, every single policy, every single um, relationship between Israel and Palestinians is rooted in the desire to remove Palestinians from Palestine. That's it. And these are not my words. These are the words of the Israeli politicians themselves. They are the ones who invented the term demographic control. They are the ones who use these other genocidal terms like mowing the lawn when they refer to the assaults that they carry out on Gaza. They are the ones that speak about putting Gazans on a calorie-restricted diet. This is genocide, right? Zionism is not an identity. Zionism is not an identity. It's a bunch of war crimes in a trench coat, okay? And yeah. the propaganda is so deep that like some production company will probably make a movie about how they sieged the third holiest site uh, in Islam during Ramadan and how it really took a toll on the soldiers. Of course. Guys, did you see that tweet from the, Isra- the, the IDF itself talking about how like it's been a really tough couple of days, but it's been really yeah. great to wake up and just have your support? 
Yeah. I think it was from the, from the Israel account itself. It was from the Israel account. account. Yeah. yeah. It was from the Israel yeah, account. So look, really exhausting to kill like yeah, it's so, all these so children in like tough two work. days. Like we've been holed up in bomb shelters, but it's so nice to get these, you know, words of support from you guys. Yeah, let let me read it to you. But but, I mean, I think in all seriousness, the the kind of mental gymnastics that these propaganda government, either government propaganda accounts or government aligned propaganda accounts, pro Israel propaganda, they they go through. Seriously, like the mental gymnastics they do go through, it must be literally exhausting for them, you know. <laughs> yes. and I'm they, they can qualify. They suffer. Yeah. They can qualify for the Olympics with those mental gymnastics. Yeah, it's, amazing. it's yeah. great. And the other thing that really annoys me about liberal Zionists is how, and especially in this country in Britain, is their support for the Israeli Labour Party. Like this is something we've really seen in the the, the British left and the whole campaign, uh, the fabricated anti-Semitism campaign against Jeremy Corbyn, which successfully deposed him as leader of the Labour Party and prevented him from becoming prime minister. Um, These uh, so-called left-wing Zionist groups, they're very open in, they define themselves as Zionist groups. But then when you say, you know, these are Zionist groups, they accuse you of anti-Semitism because you're Mm -hmm. using their own terms for themselves. Um, and they support. They they're open, like the Jewish labor movement, the 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 um, the so-called left-wing Zionist group uh, uh, officially affiliated to the British Labour Party. Um, it says on its on its website, on its Twitter profile, we support the Israeli Labour Party. You know, and and uh, as if it that and and they they criticize. We criticize the Netanyahu government. Oh, what the Netanyahu government is really is doing is really appalling. Yeah, so it's what, what did the Israeli right. Labour Party do? <laughs> what did what did the Israeli Labour Party? The Israeli Labour Party carried out the worst crimes against Palestinians. Yeah, you know, where, no matter where you go back to, you know, yeah. 1967 carried out by the Israeli Labour Party's political antecedents. You know, 1948, the Nakba, who led the Nakba? Who led the the expulsion of the Palestinians? Ben Gurion, Ben Gurion. You know, it wasn't Jabotinsky. You know, it wasn't ja- yeah. the the Jabotinskyites who participated in it as well, but they only had a supporting role. It was mm-hmm. the forces, the armed forces of uh, David Ben Gurion. So right. Labour Zionism is is just as bad as right wing Zionism, mm-hmm. if not worse. These cartoonish, uh, evil leaders like Benjamin Netanyahu and Donald Trump were a great gift to liberals. Because now they can point and say, you know, the problem isn't Zionism, but Netanyahu's Israel. The problem isn't imperialism, but Donald Trump. And and it's it's just used as a scapegoat. Right. And now, now that Biden is at the helm, they're curiously very silent about it. Just take just take for example the yeah. moving of the US embassy to, to occupy Jerusalem. Right. Okay, this was this was a Trump move you would expect that when biden took office that he would have reversed this move because this was severely condemned by so-called liberals at the time of mm-hmm. um of the decision uh, to move the embassy right and of course the dnc official position was we're not moving it back right we're that not moving the, the embassy first, back right. that was the one of the first things that they said that they were not going to do right 
in terms of foreign policy decisions. Yeah, because I mean, in practice, the Democrat Democratic Party leaders have actually always supported moving the embassy to Jerusalem. Right. You know, they were glad they, that Trump did it, and they didn't have to do it themselves. Yeah, they just didn't want to deal totally. out with the PR fallout of it. Yeah. Whereas, whereas uh, Trump yeah. didn't care. Right. Also, you reported that the Labour Party just hired a former spy from Israel. Mm -hmm. I remember reading that story and thinking, oh, wow, they're not even trying to hide it anymore. Couldn't have made it up. <laughs> I could not. Have made, I still can't believe that story. I mean, but I, 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 I mean, obviously, as usual, we check everything. I mean, I, I yeah. verified this story. I mean, it's been and it's been confirmed as well, but I still, sure. yeah. I still can't believe it. And that, that true. spy... That spy comes from Unit 8200, which is the cyber intelligence force that is responsible for blackmailing, surveilling uh, Palestinians, making sure that they have absolutely no human rights. And now one of those former employees is working PR for the Labour Party in the UK while they just got rid of Jeremy Corbyn. Let's um, let's talk about um let's talk about the, the BDS campaign a little bit. And, you know, people I mean, I've been getting messages for the last week. Um, you know, what what can we do? This is horrible. You know, obviously, the, like the Biden administration isn't going to uh, cut aid on their own without any pressure. Like, how how are we? What what can what can people do? Um, and of course, there's the boycott, divestment, and sanctions campaign, which is, you know, one of the things like the least you can do is not to buy Israeli products, right? But um, but but talk about you know how how you both see you know BDS organizing uh, especially in times of of crisis and accelerated ethnic cleansing like we're seeing now um, and 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 you know what how important it is right now to to not just like organize um, for Palestinian rights through the BDS campaign or alongside the BDS campaign but also take lawmakers to task you know these lawmakers like you know alexandria ocasio cortez yesterday she you know kind of like tacitly condemned biden's thing about it was basically like a you know hope and prayers sort of statement and uh, you know ocasio cortez said you know this is just a blanket statement if you don't stand in solidarity with palestinians and and you know and support their human rights but she said not she's a lawmaker she has power and she said nothing about um, demanding that you know the United States cut all aid immediately to the Israeli military and its government, she said nothing about about uh, her support uh, of the BDS campaign if she supports it or not. She she so so that you know as I pointed out, like that itself is a blanket statement. You can't just like call for solidarity without concrete demands, especially as a lawmaker. Um, so how do you guys see those demands and 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 what's the importance of BDS right now? Look, uh, if, if there's one thing that we've learned from the events of the last few weeks, it's that Palestinians are not going to wait for anyone to liberate them, okay? Not the Arab governments that are completely sedated or, you know, fully in bed with Israel, um, wh whose relationships were formalized by the wave of normalization that we saw in the last few years. Um, Palestinians are not going to wait for the PA, you know, they just canceled elections, <laughs> First elections in 15 years were canceled a few weeks ago. Yep. Uh, curious timing. We're certainly not going to wait for the EU, who, to my knowledge, has been completely unconscious for the last month. Um, I'm not aware of any statements, actually, that have been put out by the EU. I could be wrong. Um, we're not going to wait for the US either. We've all seen the, the clips of the State Department spokesperson, Ned Price, 
He struggled. He, he, he was sweating through all the layers of his clothing to respond to the very simple question of whether Palestinians have a right to defend themselves. And guess what, guys? The answer is, again, not complicated. Like much of the realities of this so-called conflict, the position in international law is crystal clear. I am an international lawyer, and I am telling you the position right now. An occupied people has the right to use armed resistance against a foreign occupation. That's it, period. There is no right for a colonial power to engage in a merciless assault against a civilian population that it cages. That right simply doesn't exist. So this notion that Israel has a right to defend itself is, is, is completely misframing the power dynamics. And if you're interested in learning more about this, the Palestinian legal scholar and, and, and law professor Nora Erkat uh, penned a, an article in 2012 about the legality of armed resistance under international law um, by an occupied people. So look, I think if, if there's one thing we can take away from these events, it's that we have to listen to the people, right? The Palestinian people. They are the ones who are going to liberate themselves. And the Palestinian people have called for BDS. They have, you know, people ask, what can I do to help? Palestinian people have told you what you can do to help. Support BDS. That includes not buying Israeli goods, but it's, it's more than that. It includes calling on your representatives to condition aid to Israel and eventually end aid to Israel, but then even beyond that, sanction Israel for its violations of international law, right? So this is, there's multiple levels to this. And it's the simplest thing that you can do is, is exercise your choice as a consumer, right? To make ethical choices to, to use capitalism against them, right? To use it as a weapon, right? And so I, I, I think BDS is critical at a time like this. And, you know, words are fine. I'm, I'm fine. You know, when a U.S. official comes out with a strongly worded statement every once in a while, and, it, you know, it can happen. Some of them have been less strong than others. Fine. But words have never compelled Israel to cease it's violations of international law to cease right. violating human rights. That has never happened. Okay, the light critiques, you know, of of, of Israel's actions, you know, the, the the slap on the wrist that we see every once in a while, but then yet simultaneously the blank check, the three point eight billion dollars per year that you know is happening at the same time. Yeah. That combination, that approach, that you know, to Israel has never resulted in a, in a concrete change for Palestinian lives, right? So we need to listen to Palestinians, and Palestinians have asked for BDS. It's as simple as that. Yeah, I want to quote Fanon. We revolt simply because for many reasons we can no longer breathe. And each generation must discover its mission, fulfill it, or betray it. We have now discovered the mission, right? The mission is BDS. What we have to do is not betray it. And it's up to every single one of us whether you're directing your target at, you know, Elbit for their weapons, or whether you're at the grocery store thinking about buying a cereal made by General Mills or ice cream made in Ben and Jerry's West Bank uh, production facility, you need to be the type of person who makes that decision every single day, right? And it's with every single purchase you make, every single your diet is not just what you ingest with food. It's what you ingest with words, with, with reading, with media. So you need to limit the Zionist propaganda, right? Try and expunge it completely if possible and expose yourself to people who know what they're talking about. Palestinians who've lived through this, right? They're, they're so they're, they're screaming. They've been screaming. So what we need to do is we need to flip the Zionist logic so that things are back as they should be, right? That things start to make sense again and people's human rights are taken care of. 
I think finally, Laura, if, um, yeah, I, like, it, can, can you talk a little bit about what, you know, um, you, I mean, just the next few days, um, we, we kind of have a sense of, of what's going to happen and what's, you know, because of what's been happening and the threats by the Israeli leaders, as Tamara mentioned. Um, what, uh, what are you thinking about right now when you think about your family in Gaza? How would anyone think? I mean, yeah. I think my reaction is at once one of, I can't believe this is happening to, you know, this is just outrageous. How, I mean, there's nothing I can do to help them concretely, right? The only thing I can do is use my voice in exile to try to make people understand, give them a sense of what it's like to live every day thinking, I might not be here in a few moments. And I mean, that's just the reality of, of, of life for people in Gaza. Um, it's going to get much worse. They promised us that. So uh, uh, we're going to sit glued to our screens and try to make as much noise as possible. And, you know, I'm going to try to obviously go out and protest. I'm, I'm in France, as you know, and uh, actually the situation here is, is, is a bit absurd. They've canceled our protest, which was set to happen on Saturday. We just found out about that a little bit ago. And I saw that the EI just published uh, a piece about how they actually also arrested the organizer of the march. Yeah. Um, who You're talking is, about uh, the French government for our listeners. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. So um, the organizer of the march uh, was was the leader of a Palestine solidarity organization, a French man by the name of Bertrand uh, Helbron. He was arrested earlier because of his organizing for this march to support Palestine and what's happening right now. And I mean, this is not unique to Palestine. France right now is dealing with a lot of issues and a very serious crackdown on civil liberties. Um, this is really just a continuation of, of those same repressive policies. Yeah. Um, they you know, in the last few years, gassed for over a year, the Yellow Vest protesters, which were, you know, primarily a middle class economic movement, just arguing and protesting and demanding that they should have better living conditions and that they shouldn't be retired people unable to afford bread at the end of the month and that they shouldn't be subject to increases on taxes while, you know, the wealthy, of course, are seeing decreases in taxes. And, and they were complaining of wealth transfer and they were complaining of, um, you know, the major gaps between the middle class and the um, and the, you know, extreme uh, upper class. So this is not really anything new. They gassed all those people. They, you know, used heavy military force against those protesters every Saturday for a year. Uh, if you followed those protests, they um, they targeted journalists. They um, also used rubber bullets. Many people lost their eyes. They lost, you know, fingers, things like, things like that. Um, and this also comes on the heels of a proposed legislation in France, which is actually still being debated, but has caused a lot of controversy lately to ban the recording and dissemination of images um, and video of the police. So there's a serious attempt right now in this country to really repressed civil liberties, there's this rush to the right, um, and there's essentially an all-out war on democratic principles, you know, everything from freedom of speech, you know, we saw a few years ago France criminalized BDS, and then eventually it was right. condemned by the European Court of Human Rights for having criminalized 
BDS. The court said this is a violation of the European Convention on Human Rights, a violation of free speech. France didn't care. Um, right. <laughs> yeah, they went ahead with it anyway. Yeah, other, yeah, they went ahead with it anyway. Um, there's been other attempts to repress various freedoms like the freedom of religion i mean you guys have all heard about the, hij- yeah. the hijab bans and, and things of that nature i won't get into that here but the point is is that um the canceling the so-called canceling of of the march to support palestine on saturday it, it can really be viewed within you know the context of this greater crackdown on, on civil liberties but just so you know they always cancel the protests and people always show up anyway and basically the canceling of the protest is used as the pretext to use violence yeah. So they'll say, oh, well, the protest was illegal, so now we can shoot at you, gas you, and do all of this stuff. I was at the protest in 2014 in Paris, um, the last time that Israel you know, committed its military assaults on Gaza. And you know, we were treated as criminals from the moment we arrived. From the moment we arrived, we were treated as criminals. We were caged in. There were heavily militarized per, uh, police uh, on all ends, and they started gassing us you know, in, in, in the middle, and they wouldn't let us escape. I mean, this is very typical response of the French police to any sort of social um, organizing that they find threatening, which really is cliche or sorry, excuse me, it really is sort of ironic because when you understand that the, the, the deep history of French you know, organization and social movements, this is supposed to be um, a, a national um, identity for them. You know, the idea of resistance and, 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 and uprising and organization and socialism and things like that. But France is and has been for many years now uh, turning away from from, you know, uh, its its roots in those movements and turning very much towards a a very scary, extreme right reality. Well, Lara Elborno and Michael Scherzer, you are both the co-hosts of the Palestine pod. We will put a link up. Uh, to the Palestine pod, but you can find it anywhere uh, where you get your podcasts. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I really encourage our listeners to to, to like and subscribe. Uh, Stephen Saleda, our, our friend and colleague, was your most recent guest. It was a phenomenal episode. Did you watch? Um, oh, I'm so glad yeah, you watched it. It was just, he's incredible. extraordinary, but, but, but so are you. And we thank you for all the work that you're doing. And um, for being with us on the Electronic Intifada podcast. Um, please send our best uh, to your family, Lara. And, um, you know, we, we just hope that everyone remains safe. Thank you. Thank you so much for the work that you all do here. It's an honor to be on this podcast. Thank, Thank you. So Thanks Thank for you both. Thanks, Thank guys. you. Joining us today from Occupied Jerusalem is Johra Bakr. She's a writer and translator, and she's written for the Electronic Intifada. Uh, Johara, thank you so much for being with us. Can you tell us um, what the situation looks like outside your front door right now? Um, hi, thanks for having me. Yeah, um, my house is right next to the Aqsa Mosque. Um, I live in the African community quarter, the African Palestinian community quarter, and it's just like 100 meters from the Aqsa Mosque. So, as you probably know, um, it's been you know, a week of just a lot of tension and a lot of clashes and a lot of, you know, tensions are really high. And um, it's not just in the Aqsa, of course. I mean, the old city, Sheikh Jarrah, um, all over. So yeah, I mean, anyone who's been to Jerusalem will know that Jerusalem is, there's a very heavy Israeli military presence, even when when there's where there are no clashes. 
So it's very different from being in the West Bank. Um, so I also have a house in the West Bank where I go back and forth. So it's very different um, because you feel that presence wherever you go. And so now um, when things like this happen, you can see the divide is just like right down the middle. There's no, there's mm -hmm. nowhere in between, you know, it, it just goes straight down the middle and it's just, it's, it's always very, very combustible. I mean, it's, so right now, I mean, people are, their, their tension, you know, the tensions are very high, their emotions are high. There's a lot of, there's a feeling that people, they're fearless. I mean, I've been, I've been to Sheikh Jarrah more than once. I mean, I live right there um, and I can see, and it's really is like this uprising or whatever you want to call it, it's the youth. I mean, they are just out in the streets. They're tired of this. They're, they're, they're just fed up. Yeah. And part of me is very proud as a Palestinian to see this. And part of me is fearful. And because of, we know what happens when these things happen, we know that Gaza always pays the price and that's exactly what's happening now. Um, so it's, it's, there's a lot of mixed emotions uh, yeah. that from, I can speak for myself and probably for a lot of people, there are a lot of mixed emotions involved right now. Can you talk a little bit about um, being a parent uh, right now, you know, amidst everything that's happening? Um, yeah. And, uh, you know, like I just the, the, the most horrifying testimonials uh, from Gaza have been pouring in all over social media of children saying goodbye to their parents before they go to bed, um, for example, and, and parents, you know, not being able to, 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 to guarantee that they will all wake up in the morning. I mean, just the most, you know, unimaginable uh, yeah. trauma and fear yeah. um, because of Israel's, you know, death machine. Um, you're in East Jerusalem um, where the situation is, you know, continues to be very volatile, uh, where Israeli police and Israeli, you know, settler lynch mobs um, are, are threatening Palestinians um, all over the city and, and, and elsewhere inside the West Bank. Um, can, can you talk about what it's like being a parent? Um, again, I have, my son is 21 and my daughter is almost 19. And uh, as a parent, the problem with the thing with being a Palestinian a lot of times is that you also have this these emotions where you want to instill in your children to the love of, of their country and that, you know, we have this right to defend it and we have this right to resist. And this is exactly what me and their father did um, for the years. So, but at the same time, as a parent, you have that instinct that you want to protect and that you don't want it horrible to happen to you. So there's kind of like this push and pull in terms of when things like this happen and, um, you know, and my children, also want to be part of it. So you want them to be part of this movement and at the same time you're afraid. Um, but, uh, and that's basically where we are every day. And then sometimes even when they're not even actively part of it, you get pulled into things. Um, just walking down the street in the old city, sometimes you get caught uh, in, in between. And even without, the thing is with, with, with being a Palestinian in East Jerusalem, even without, you know, uprisings or whatever, or without all of these clashes, um, 
especially my son, because he fits, you know, he's in that demographic. He's, he's, he's 21, he's, he's a male, he's, you know, tall, he's whatever. So he gets stopped all the time, he gets harassed. Um, so there's, there's never any time when he leaves the house that you think, you know, he may not get uh, arrested or at least, you know, pushed around or, and then my daughter as well, you know, she's, she's very active where it comes to Palestine. And so, yeah, I have this fear, of course, but at the same time, I think, you know, well, everyone else has the same fear. And if they don't do it, who's going to do it? And of course, it's nothing compared to what people are going through in Gaza. I mean, that's just, that's just a horror at a whole other level. I mean, it's just, it's just unbelievable. And, this, and, and the world is, again, we just feel, it feels like, you know, I don't know if you're familiar with that movie Groundhog Day where you just oh, go yeah. same thing. Yeah. You know, we just go over and over and it's we're hope inshallah at some point something will break. Yeah. How did it feel? Yeah. How did it feel earlier this week when uh, to see Palestinians in Gaza and Palestinians inside 48 uh, inside the, the the rest of historic Palestine outside the West Bank and Jerusalem to see Palestinians all over Palestine to express solidarity with you in Jerusalem and the ethnic cleansing campaign that's happening on an ongoing basis. How did that feel? Oh, that, that, that was amazing. I mean, like for Palestinians, especially Palestinians inside the 48 territories, because they have a whole other set of, of issues um, because they're citizens, they're citizens of Israel, but at the same time, they're very discriminated against. And to see that kind of solidarity um, was really heartwarming for all Palestinians. And then now, not just Gazans, not just the West Bank, not just inside um, um, historic Palestine, now you're having Jordanian Palestinians, you know, rushing to the border, you have them at, in Lebanon. So it just also shows, I mean, for me, that's also proof, that's evidence that Palestinians are one. And that no matter how long how long this this conflict continues, the Palestinians will always, you know, um, adhere to that same cause. And even, I mean, ir irrespective of, of of our own leadership and all of the mess that they that it's caused, the Palestinians, when it when push comes to shove, you know, this is one cause, and and they will rise up. You know, and Jerusalem is not just something, no matter, how, no matter what happens at the international level, or again, like I said, with, the, with our leadership, Jerusalem is, is what they call, you know, the red line. Um, you know, Palestinians just won't have it. And that's very heartwarming for us. But at the same time, you see this crackdown on them and Palestinians inside um, the 48 territories. I mean, the lynches and the, the lynchings and the, the even the military, the way that they're cracking down on them, it's just, it's just horrible. Yeah. Pogroms, it's pogroms. Yeah, pogroms. Yeah, yeah, yeah it is. Yeah, yeah, it is. Um, can you can you kind of assess the the situation, uh, you know, around Al Aqsa, um, just next door to where you live, um, and uh, you know uh, how Palestinians have been able to defend. Um, you know the the Dome of the Rock and the and Al Aqsa Mosque, um, and you know the day after Eid, 
uh, we're, when we're recording this, um, what does the atmosphere kind of feel like right now where you are? Look, um, it's all, the thing is with uh, being uh, uh, near the Aqsa, there's always tension because like, you know, that now that they, they've, the settlers are allowed to go in from Dungate and or, so there's always, there's always tension there anyway. Um, but with this, this new, you know, this, and there's always also, there's always infringement on the Aqsa, little ones, big ones. So that this is what the media doesn't always pick up or it, they, they've normalized it. Um, so living there, you see that day to day. The difference now is that it's at this mass scale. Um, again, you never know when things are gonna flare up. Like the other day, right before the last day of Ramadan, was it? Maybe the day before. Um, so it was just crazy. I mean, Al-Aqsa was, actually there was literally a literal fire um, there. And also people were just like in the thousands, just chanting and throwing rocks. And, and they were shooting rubber bullets and, and tear gas. And then so like at around 11, 11.30, I was in the house and everything was calm. All of a sudden we just hear these like stun grenades going off. So I ran outside to go see it because my, you know, my kids are outside. And, and I mean, special forces, if, if anybody, I mean, you, if you're here, if you've come here, you know that Israel's special forces are different than the army. They are just ruthless. And they're just like throwing them inside the, inside the neighborhood at people's legs, you know, people, I, almost everybody I know has gotten hit but with a sun grenade. So you, you see this, you never know when it's gonna happen, but you kind of like always expect it. And uh, so that's kind of the atmosphere at all times now. And again, like I was saying before, it's not like it's something that you know that there's going to be an end to. There may be like, you know that it may kind of like recede a little bit for, a day, a month, six months, but you always know as long as as the situation or the conflict remains and there's no settlement that this is going to rise up again and it's just gonna be this vicious cycle. Yeah. And that's that's the unsettling thing as well. Yeah. Yeah. The special forces you're referring to, is that the border police? Now, um, they're called, I don't know what they're called, they're in Yassam or something in Hebrew. Hmm. They are the border police. I, don't quote me on this. I'm not sure. I think they're an actual special forces um, from the army. They may be the They're the ones who. They're the ones who wear the helmets with the black, and they have the you know the, the tower. Black. Yeah, the, the tower logo. I think yeah, they may be the border. I'm not sure. We call them the special forces, and they're just they are just they're brutal. Yeah. Yeah. They're really yeah, they, brutal. If, if it's the same force I'm thinking of, they they beat me up once actually. Really? My, like about a decade or more than a decade ago. Yeah, I was just filming. That's when I was a volunteer with ISM, and um, I was just filming oh. a demonstration in Shofar's camp. And um, yeah, they they just started beating up these kids, and they beat me up as well for. Yeah, that but, would be them actually. Yeah, they. Yeah. I mean, they. I mean, they are just thugs, and I always find yeah. I've I've been finding it really interesting thinking about it recently this week of. They're the border police, but Israel has no declared border. Yeah, that's true. And also, the border police you know, were in places like Yaffa, which is exactly you know, and Jerusalem <laughs> is supposed to be its capital, allegedly. You know, right. not its border. 
Right. Um, yeah. The border seems to be around Arabs. That's yeah. exactly it. Yeah. 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 That's, that's the border. Oh, so, yeah. Again, it's just, it's just like for us, there's always that glimmer of hope that this time something will make a change, mm. you know? But it's just very, very frustrating. And it's the we second know that time, though, isn't it? We always think that. That's the thing, yeah. but in the back of our minds, we know that 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 you know, the balances of power in the world are not in our favor at this point, um, including the Arabs, including you know. So, but at the same time, it's like, so what do you do? You just you can't just you can't just lay down and and, and give up. That's that goes against human nature, not just the Palestinians. Right. You know, if they're going to keep pushing against us, pushing, 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 you know, you're gonna you're gonna push back. There's no other way, but the price is always very heavy. And Gaza always seems to pay the highest price, you know, and, and that's always the case. And look at it now, already there's like 120 people have been killed, you know, in the course of a few days. And it's just, it's just, it's just ridiculous. And it's, and things have not changed so much, you know, on the world, you know, in the world or unfortunately, you know, social media makes a difference, I think. I think that there's more awareness because of social media, but you know, let's be honest, the United States is not gonna change overnight. The Europeans don't, the Europeans, it's almost like, you know, the Europeans are, are too shy. Like they, they'll say the right things or they'll, but they don't, they don't have the political will to actually take very strong stances. So things have not changed. And, but as a Palestinian, you just can't, you can't, you can't give up. Can you um, give us an update on what's been happening in Sheikh Jarrah uh, specifically? Because, you know, throughout the last four or five days, um, you know, everyone has been, and rightly so, focused on, on what's been happening in Gaza. But um, what is the situation with Sheikh Jarrah? And, and yeah. Sheikh Jarrah at this point, yeah, they haven't, um, as far as I know, they haven't, um, they haven't expelled them yet. Right. They're okay. still supposed to, you know, they're waiting for the this court order. But again, that's not a victory that they've postponed it. So people are still going. Um, the settlers are involved now also, you know, sometimes the settlers, they, they slash the tires or whatever. So there's still that ongoing there's still ongoing clashes every night. Um, again, I haven't been there in a few days, but I did go there. It's not, it's very unsettling, very unsettling. Because yeah. like the Israelis come in with, um, first of all, they come in with their horses, you know, those big, big, big horses to disperse the people. And then these special forces, you know, the border police come in and then they have the, um, the what is it, what is it called? The, the skunk water. Right. And that stuff is just horrible. Like people, people even make jokes, you know, like the demonstrators make jokes. So like, you know what, I'll take a rubber bullet, but I do not want to get sprayed by this gunk water, <laughs> you know? Um, so that's still ongoing, but, but the court order is still pending, but we know what happens. We always know. I mean, it wouldn't be the first time. And we try to change the narrative as well. The word evictions is not the right word to use. You know, they're, they're, they're ethnically cleansing Jerusalem and they're expelling, they're forcefully expelling. It's not, a, it's not an eviction. An eviction makes it sound like they didn't pay their rent or whatever. Um, 
And so we know what's happening. And I think that the narrative is so important. And this is what's been skewed for so many years. Um, even the word conflict is not, you know, some people are saying, oh, you know, stop the war. It's not a war. Right. You know, it's an aggression, it's an occupation, et cetera, et cetera. So these are all like different battles that everyone has to fight. Um, and I think in that sense, social media may help a little bit, but uh, we have to do what we can. Yeah. But, you know, the, the sense of solidarity in Sheikh Jarrah is unbelievable. I mean, I don't know if, you know, in Ramadan, um, people were eat, breaking their fast there. Uh, again, the youth have been almost fearless. It's just, for me, uh, I lived through both intifadas. And yes, there was a lot of that as well. But in Jerusalem, I haven't seen this for a long time. This, you know, this just, they're just fed up. Yeah. And it just shows, every time something like this shows, shows how stark the divide is. Um, you are also an American, um, and when, when you see the, you know, the, like Biden saying, uh, yesterday, for example, that like, he didn't think that Israel's use of force was over, over the line or whatever, you know, um, and, you know, he basically sends his, you know, thoughts and prayers to, to, you know, for, for this to quickly end, you know, yeah. as though he was com a complete neutral player in this and yeah. was not funding the Israeli military and sending weapons that are killing children in Gaza right now. Um, and then there are politicians who, you know, they say all the right things, you know, we, we shouldn't be, we shouldn't be, uh, you know, helping to kill children, and, but they're not calling for actual concrete consequences on Israeli policies. Um, what, what do you think it would take, you know, for even the most, you know, so-called progressive politicians here in the United yeah. States to demand that, that the U.S. cut, immediately cut all yeah. aid to Israel? Well, first of all, I think that anyone who looks to Biden as a, any kind of like game changer in the Palestinian, <laughs> you know, the Palestinians is, is just, a, you know, sorry, it's just, they're just like delusional. Yeah, we all know, yeah. you know, the only thing, the only reason why people were a little bit happy that Biden went is because because he followed Trump, you know, I mean, okay, but you know, the Americans have historically always been even Barack Obama was way better than a lot of other presidents. But in the end, he signed off on $38 billion, you know, over the next, you know, so he resupplied the Israeli military in 2014. Exactly, exactly. So I'm not, you know, I, and I'm, I can probably speak for all Palestinians. We're not looking to Biden to change anything. Now the, the breath of fresh air within the American public, first of all, the people, there are a lot of Americans who are aware and who are, you know, um, trying to raise awareness and change things. And, you know, BDS in the States is pretty alive. There's also the Congress people. I mean, yesterday I read that there were 25 Congress, you know, um, members of Congress who are calling um, on Israel to, or on the US to, to at least link um, funding. And I think like, to answer your question, I think the only way that policy will change is through funding. It has to be money. There's really no other way. And and but I don't see that happening yet. 
but I think that there is a movement within, there are changes within this, you know, the Congress where you are hearing voices. And also, I mean, celebrities, I mean, I, I have never seen that many celebrities speak out about Palestine and Americans as well. There are always the, you know, a few of them who always speak up, but lately, which is for me, it's great. I mean, they're small things, but to tell you to, to tell you that I think that there's going to be any change in U.S. policy uh, towards Palestine in the near future, no, I don't see that. But you know, change doesn't happen quickly, and I think the the I think people are the ones who will make those changes. Whether the Americans, the Palestinians, the Palestinians need to keep need to keep raising awareness and need to keep doing what they're doing, uh, maybe up their game a little bit where it comes to leadership and, and narrative. <laughs> <laughs> but other than that, yeah, I think it all comes down to money, to be honest with you. No, it's true. It does. Absolutely. It's all about the Benjamins at the end of the day. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. But you can't say that because right. <laughs> because that would completely Just... correct treat. She should never have apologized for. Absolutely, that's the <laughs> thing. Oh, that's that, true yeah. too. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But you know, anybody we know how it is in the states, and also, I mean, in the West in general, but in the states, it's like. There's, I think that one thing that needs to be worked on, and I think people are starting to, is that you you do not equate criticism of Israel with anti-Semitism. You know, yeah. you can't. That yeah. needs to be something that's starkly clear. And I think there are people who are raising awareness, but Israel plays on that all the time. Of course, they and use that's it. What, yeah. that, they use it. You know, they use it big time. Um, and I think that that's something for me as a, you know, as a journalist and as a, you know, working with Palestinian media, narrative is extremely important, you know, and it's very important to use the right words and it's very important to use the right phrases. And, and this is something that, you know, they just can't, they, they can't get away with it. And they're st it's starting to change. I have this feeling it's starting to change. But in terms of policy, I don't yeah. know. Yeah. Unfortunately, um, I think it's only force that's going to change anything. Yeah, absolutely. And and people, you know, consistently pressuring politicians to 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 do yeah. the right thing and be on the right side of history. Yeah. Yeah, um, exactly. Finally, as a journalist, as a writer, as a translator, as someone who's in the streets um, at ground zero, really for for the struggle for Palestinian liberation and against Israeli, you know, settler colonialism, colonialism. Um, what, like what, how do you, you know, it's hard to predict what'll happen in even five minutes from now, uh, let alone like 24, 48 hours. But given that you've, uh, you've been living there for so long and have seen, um, seen many, many uprisings, um, how do you think this, this current one will go? And, and you know, yeah, what, what do you expect to happen? Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, I, I'm hoping for at least small victories. I'm hoping for um, a, you know, a cancellation of the, of the expulsions. Okay. I'm hoping that, um, that the bombing of Gaza stops. You know, I'm hoping that there's going to, you know, that they will re to, to reconstruct it and help the families there. I'm not hoping for 
I mean, I'm not, I don't expect that there's, you know, Palestine's gonna be liberated overnight. Um, but at least I'm hoping for these small, these small, these small victories. Um, I'm also hoping for at least awareness to be raised, you know, the, to, to be raised a little bit more around the world about Palestine. And because that, that awareness will eventually lead to more, like you were saying, more pressure on governments, more change of policy, et cetera. Um, in the very short term, I'm thinking probably Egypt is going to, I mean, they've already started this mediation in order to, you know, to, but this is, always happens with ceasefire. In, and in terms of Palestinians, I'm hoping that this will also unite us as well. And, um, you know, this whole div division will maybe at some point end um, between Gaza, the West Bank, Hamas, Fatah, et cetera, et cetera. So that's what I'm hoping for for now. I don't like to, I, I, don't, I don't have any illusions that this is going to, you know, we're gonna have a state or whatever. Yeah. Uh, that's a whole other conversation, mm -hmm. but yeah, at least that. Because if they stop this in Sheikh Jarrah, that could be a precedent for other cases. And we know there are going to be other ones. This is just, you know, this is just a little microcosm of Palestine. So inshallah, at least that for now. Johara Bakker, uh, you're a writer, translator, and journalist uh, based in occupied East Jerusalem. Thank you so much for being with us on the Electronic Thank Intifada podcast. Thank you for having podcast. me. Thanks. And, and we'll Thank keep you. in touch with you and we'll update uh, yes. of course, our listeners and viewers on the situation as it, as it unfolds. Thank you so much. Thank you. Be safe. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thanks for watching this video. Please subscribe to our YouTube channel. Hit like, leave a comment. These engagements help us with the YouTube algorithm and it helps us to get around Silicon Valley censorship as much as possible. It does make a difference. You can also support our journalism by going to electronicintifada.net and clicking on donate now. Thank you.